Welcome to this edition of Inside the NCAA. My name is Jobrina Marquez and I am in Academic and Membership Affairs. Today I am here with Garth from the NBA. Garth, thank you for spending time with me today. Thanks, Jobrina. We have some important updates for you, uh, student athletes and coaches regarding this year's pre-draft process and, and look forward to discussing them with you today. As Garth mentioned, we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA pre-draft process for 2021, but today we're really going to focus on some key dates and a timeline related to the overall 2021 pre-draft process. So if you're a men's basketball student athlete or you're working with a men's basketball student athlete, these are going to be really important dates to remember. Garth, can you begin by walking us through the timeline for the 2021 NBA draft process and maybe talk about a little bit where we are right now. We're at the end of April. What are we looking at right now in terms of key dates coming up? The next key date is May 30th, which is the NBA early entry deadline, which applies to all college players this year. Because as you know, with the NCAA granting all Division I men's basketball student athletes with an extra year of eligibility, that means, in effect, uh, all college basketball players last season are underclassmen for purposes of the 2021 NBA draft. So any current college player interested in entering the 2021 NBA draft needs to submit his early entry paperwork on or before May 30th, which is 60 days before the NBA draft. And can you remind us how a um, men's basketball student athlete goes through that process to enter? Is that a separate? Is that a separate process from the undergraduate advisory committee evaluation request? You are correct, Brenda. It requires separate paperwork. Uh, we received applications from over uh, 250 student athletes this year who were interested in receiving feedback from the undergraduate advisory committee, but the process for actually applying to the draft as an early entrant is a separate one. And it requires submitting separate paperwork to the NBA that specifies that the player is interested in entering this year's draft as an early entrant. And a player can submit that paperwork to draft mailbox at nba.com. Again, that's draft mailbox at nba.com. And after we receive the application, we'll send uh, a separate informational brochure that the player needs uh, to fill out. But all that's required prior to the May 30th deadline is an email sent to draft mailbox at nba.com specifying a player's intention to enter the 2021 NBA draft as an early entrant. Okay, so if you have a student athlete, a men's basketball student athlete who has entered their name into the draft, so they've declared for the draft as an early entrant, what comes next? After the early entry list is compiled, we circulate a list to all NBA teams of the players who have submitted their names to be early entry candidates. And, and we typically circulate that list uh, a day or two after uh, the early entry deadline. So this year, beginning on or around June 1st, NBA teams will be able to begin contacting early entrant players. We haven't finalized the rules uh, governing pre-draft workouts for this year's pre-draft process because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. And we'll provide those details at a later date. But one thing that we do know is that starting June 1st, teams will at least be able to contact those early entry players and we'll provide later detail or provide details at a later date on whether uh, they'll actually be able to conduct in-person workouts like they would in a normal year. And so, 
from the time period that a student athlete has entered the draft, they have um, started to work out, hopefully be able to work out with teams this year, at least have some communication with the teams. What, what would a men's basketball student athlete expect next in terms of a, in terms of a key date or timeline? So after the early entry deadline on May 30th, teams can begin contacting uh, prospects uh, to conduct interviews. And again, subject to evolving health conditions, uh, we may allow for in-person workouts this year. After that, the next key dates are the G League Elite Camp, uh, which will take place July, uh, excuse me, June 29, uh, 19th through the 21st this year. Um, again, subject to, to public health conditions, followed by the draft combine, which is scheduled to take place June 21st through the 27th. Roughly 40 players or so will be invited to the G League Elite Camp, and another 60 or so will be invited to the draft combine. So once the pre-draft process starts, players are able to start working out, or excuse me, communicating with with NBA teams, if health conditions allow, they can perhaps have some in-person workouts as well. And then they should be on the lookout for whether or not they receive an invitation either to the G League Elite Camp or the Combine. Can you tell us a little bit about how players are selected for the G League Elite Camp and the NBA Draft Combine? We use the same balloting process for both the G League Elite Camp and, and the Combine. And essentially we survey our teams and the teams decide with their votes, uh, which players will be invited um, to our key pre-draft events, uh, those being the G League Elite Camp and the Combine. So, so the short answer is uh, that the decision makers with teams, the same decision makers that ultimately will decide who to select in the draft are the same people deciding which players are invited to attend the G League Elite Camp and the Combine. Garth, you mentioned the G League Elite Camp. Can you tell us a little bit more about that camp and the purpose of it? The best way to think about the G League Elite Camp is that it's really an extension of our draft combine. And, and I mentioned that, that roughly 60 or 65 players are invited to the combine each year. What we're finding from NBA teams is that with the introduction of two-way contracts that have added two roster spots to each NBA team and the growth of the G League, that NBA teams actually want to evaluate more than 60 or 65 players during the pre-draft process. And that's where the G League Elite Camp comes in, and that it provides another 40 players or so an opportunity to play in front of NBA team scouts in a combine-like setting. In fact, in a normal year, it happens in the same facility as the combine, just days before the combine. And one of the unique features of the G League Elite Camp is that among the 40 or so participants at the G League Elite Camp, the most elite participants, uh, the highest performing participants in the G League Elite Camp will actually be invited to stay and participate in the combine. In the first year of the G League Elite Camp in 2019, 10 participants in the G League Elite Camp were actually invited to stay to participate in the combine that happened in Chicago later that same week. And of those 40 participants, 20 were college seniors. So what we're seeing from the G League Elite Camp is it's expanding opportunity to more players to be a part of the pre-draft process, to get a meaningful evaluation, to be seen in person by NBA teams. And, and we think it's an important part of the growth of our league based on, as I mentioned, the introduction of the two uh, 
two-way contracts and the growth of the G League. Thank you, Garth. And do you have a location for the G League Elite Camp and NBA Combine announced? We've been getting that question a lot, Jobrina, so I'm glad that you asked it. And, and the answer is not yet. We have publicly announced the dates of both the Combine and the G League Elite Camp. The Combine is tentatively scheduled for June 21st through the 27th. The G League Elite Camp is scheduled to take place immediately before it from June 19th through the 21st. So although we have publicized those dates and we have shared with our teams that we hope to make this year's pre-draft process as normal as possible, we continue to evaluate public health conditions and ultimately will be those health and safety considerations that dictate whether and, and where we'll be able to hold these important pre-draft events. So more information to come on that. Uh, we have outlined the dates, uh, but we have not finalized a location at this point. We spent some time talking about the undergraduate advisory committee evaluation. I know that at this point, I believe everyone that has requested an evaluation is starting to receive that first set of feedback. For a men's basketball student athlete who stays in the draft through the duration of the combine, will they receive any updated information related to their evaluation? The answer is yes. And just to step back for a moment, uh, we have received to date over 250 applications for feedback from the undergraduate advisory committee. The initial deadline to apply for feedback has passed, but working with the NCAA, we are taking the position this year that due to the, the very unusual nature of this year's pre-draft process, the ongoing pandemic, and the fact that this year's draft is being held at a later date, we are accepting late applications. However, if someone applies for feedback from this point forward, uh, they may be delayed in receiving their feedback. At this point, all 250 plus U, uh, undergraduate advisory committee applicants have received written feedback indicating their likely draft range if they do in fact enter the 2021 NBA draft. And to your earlier point, Jobrina, if a student athlete who has already applied for UAC feedback ultimately decides to test the waters by entering their name in the 2021 NBA draft as an early entry candidate. And that same student athlete remains in the draft through the conclusion of the draft combine, he will receive updated written feedback. And as a result, uh, a student athlete who stays in the, in the pre-draft process uh, up until that point will actually receive uh, two instances of written feedback from the undergraduate advisory committee. And what we have found based on our analysis of the data is that it's actually that second round of data that is most likely to be accurate because by that point, teams have had an opportunity to watch the prospects play among themselves. There's more information they've had a chance to interact with and get to know some of the prospects. And because the, it's closer to the draft at that point, the projections tend to be slightly more accurate than the initial feedback provided in April. Thank you. And so that's, that's really important because hopefully men's basketball student athletes are using that information to help make a decision on whether they want to continue to pursue the professional avenues or whether they want to decide to, to come back to um, NCAA and compete at the collegiate level. The next important day is July 7th, which is the NCAA early entry withdrawal deadline, meaning that 
a student athlete who has done everything else to protect their eligibility, if they would like to come back and continue to compete at the collegiate level, they will need to withdraw their name from the NBA draft by July 7th, which is 10 days after the combine, which you just mentioned. Um, so that is a really important date for those student athletes who would like to preserve their NCAA eligibility. Tell us a little bit more about what happens after the July 7th deadline for a student athlete who may continue to pursue those professional um, avenues. Jobreen, I appreciate you mentioning the NCAA withdrawal deadline on July 7th, because as you know, it's an overlap of both NBA and NCAA rules that are so critical to navigating the pre-draft process. And it's the NCAA withdrawal deadline that dictates so much activity among college players, because that's essentially the date by which a college player has to make a final determination whether they're in the draft or they're returning to school for another year. So for college players who go through the pre-draft process, that effectively becomes the withdrawal deadline. We actually have a later deadline under NBA rules that applies to international players, but it really is that NCAA withdrawal deadline on July 7th this year, uh, which falls 10 days after the conclusion of the NBA draft combine that really governs the activity among college players. And so it's important that, that college players, coaches, compliance officials have that date circled on their calendars. And the way to withdraw from the draft is, is essentially the same as, as you apply to the draft as an early entrant. So to apply uh, to the draft as an early entrant, you send an email stating your intention to do so to draftmailbox.mba.com. And then if you opt to withdraw from the draft, you would withdraw in the same manner, again, by sending an email to draftmailbox.nba.com, declaring your intention to withdraw from this year's draft. Okay, so we have we have the important two important deadlines to withdraw for, for different purposes. And then can you tell us when the draft actually occurs this year? This year's draft is, is scheduled to occur on July 29th which is roughly a month later than usual, but it's consistent with the timeline in place for this year's NBA season. We typically uh, finish the NBA season in mid to late June and have a draft roughly a week later. This year, we're finishing our season in, in mid-July, and as a result, we'll have uh, our, our draft roughly uh, a week later, and, and that will fall July 29th this year. So everything's been moved back roughly one month later than in a normal year. Is there anything else, Garth, that you want to add related to the timeline before we switch gears and talk about some maybe current issues we're seeing this year, a lot of it related to the COVID pandemic? I'll just reiterate that everything has been moved back by roughly one month this year. Usually by this time in the year, we would have passed the early entry deadline. However, this year, the deadline is not until May 30th, so student athletes, their families, coaches have a little bit of extra time to make sure that they're making a decision they're comfortable with in terms of whether they want to test the waters in this year's NBA draft. So keep that May 30th date in mind and also utilize that extra time to your advantage uh, if, if it makes sense to do so. And then after that, uh, understand that you can begin to communicate with NBA teams if health conditions allow. Uh, Players may be able to, to work out with NBA teams in person. In a normal year, uh, 
those workouts are, are more frequent than they'll likely be this year again due to the health conditions. After that, the big events during the pre-draft process, of course, the combine, the G League Elite Camp, it's important for players to understand that, that whether or not they receive an invitation to the combine in particular is very instructive in terms of their likely draft status. And, and our data suggests that if a player does not receive an invitation to the combine, that it's most likely that he will go undrafted. And so for, for players who ask, you know, what information can I rely upon during the pre-draft process? There are a lot of sources of information. Of course, the undergraduate advisory committee is, is an important source of information, but another important source of information is whether or not they receive an invitation to the combine. Because again, it's our 30 teams who vote on the players that are invited to the combine. Those are the same 30 teams that will decide who is picked, who is selected where in the NBA draft. And so if, if a player is not selected to the combine, again, the data would suggest that player is, is not likely to be drafted in the upcoming draft. And so that's an important data point for players as they navigate the pre-draft process. Thank you. That, that is very, very good information for men's basketball student athletes and those who are assisting our men's basketball student athletes to keep in mind and relying on that data to make a good and informed decision about their future. Okay, I want to switch gears, as I mentioned before, to another issue. I, I don't think it typically comes much up much in a typical year, but we may see it a little bit more this year. And you mentioned earlier that due to the pandemic, the NCAA has provided some flexibility for current student athletes to potentially gain an additional year of NCAA eligibility. So we may have men's basketball student athletes who would normally have have decided to test the professional waters and, and they wouldn't be coming back because they wouldn't have any eligibility remaining. But this year, there is a possibility for those student athletes to come back and compete at the, at the collegiate level. Um, with that flexibility, we may see more student athletes who enter the draft, but also wanna retain their eligibility should they decide to return to school. As these student athletes, especially those who previously declared for the draft as an early entrant, are trying to decide whether to declare for the draft possibly a second or third time, are there any NBA rules that that student athlete needs to consider as they make that decision? Under the NBA collective bargaining agreement, a player may not enter the draft as an early entrant more than twice. And so in effect, what that means is that if a player enters the draft to test the waters as an early entry candidate twice and withdraws both times, and then in the third draft year, that player again enters the draft as an early entry candidate under NBA rules at that time, the player must remain in the draft and he is not eligible to withdraw. And as you mentioned, Joe Brina, uh, under normal circumstances, that's not a rule that we encounter very often because it would require in the case of a college player, a student athlete, declaring as an early entry candidate after his freshman year, after his sophomore year, and then again after his junior year, and then, and then finding himself um, subject to this particular rule. And, and we just typically don't see that fact pattern very often. However, this year with the NCAA granting an extra year of eligibility to all student athletes, it essentially gives every student athlete one more year to be treated as an underclassman. So it's just simple math 
that we expect to encounter this rule more frequently, not only during this year's pre-draft process, but in the next few pre-draft processes, because student athletes will have the opportunity under NCAA rules to test the waters so long as they follow all the NCAA rules, they can return to school. But it's just important for student athletes, families, and coaches to be mindful of this NBA rule. Again, you get two free passes, so to speak, in that you can test the waters twice and still decide to withdraw from the draft, return to play another year of college basketball. But once you do so a third time under NBA rules, you must remain in the draft. And, and the reason for that rule is it's largely one of administrability in that we we don't want a situation where student where players are testing the waters every year. We want there to be uh, some level of, of seriousness about committing to the pre-draft process, interacting with our teams. And so that's why that rule is in place, uh, limiting players to, to no more than two instances where they enter the draft and then pull their name back out. That's very helpful. Thank you for providing the NBA rules related to that um, situation. And, and again, I want to just, you mentioned that there, from an NCAA rules perspective, that these, these some of these student athletes may want to come back. So if we have somebody who does enter his name for a third time, um, but, but decides he wants to return to school, I just want to talk about the NCAA rules perspective on it or point of view. Um, and there are really two things to keep in mind related to what you've outlined. So if a student athlete takes the step and requests his name to be removed from the NBA draft by that July 7th NCAA withdrawal date and has otherwise done everything else to protect his eligibility. So he hasn't signed with it with an impermissible agent, hasn't accepted impermissible expenses, um, done everything else that he needed to preserve his NCAA eligibility. He will have technically met NCAA rules to retain his eligibility and return it and compete at the, at the collegiate level. The issue becomes is that because his name is still in the draft, if he is drafted, NCAA rules do not allow a men's basketball student athlete who has been drafted to return to school and compete at the collegiate level. So that's one issue. The other issue is if he is undrafted and becomes a free agent and perhaps gets called up by a team to compete, um, our rules, NCAA rules, don't permit a current student athlete to sign a contract or compete at the professional level and then come back and compete with his team. So there are some things that a student athlete who is thinking about entering for a third time and also potentially um, preserving his NCAA eligibility if he wants to keep the option open to come back and compete that potentially that additional year, as you mentioned, um, there are some things that he's going to have to consider and keep in mind and work through um, should he decide to enter for a third time and, and return to school. Um, it also creates some uncertainty, right, for the team and the student athlete as it relates to, um, you know, their season. So if a student athlete does find himself in this situation, those are just issues he's going to want to keep in mind and work through and figure out the best course of action. You're Anything? exactly right, Joe Brady. I would just add that to the extent that, that any student athlete or student athletes coaching staff or family finds themselves either in that situation or potentially in that situation, they should call both the NCAA national office and, and the NBA league office as well, because there's an interesting 
you know, overlap of, of both NBA and NCAA rules if a player finds himself in that situation. And, and we just want to make sure that before a player you know, ultimately takes that action, uh, that they have a full understanding of, of both NCAA and NBA rules. And then at that point, they can make the decision that's right for them. Thank you, Garth. That's a great reminder. And you've said it a couple of times, and it's so important that someone going through this process needs to understand the, that the NBA rules and the NCA rules do overlap as it relates to this process and, and that we are here to help them walk through that um, as, they, as they go through the process and make their decision. So thank you for that reminder. So we're about a month into the pre-draft process. What are the current issues or hot topics regarding the 2021 pre-draft process that you're hearing from both the NCA coaching community and the student athletes who are reaching out about the pre-draft process? We are getting a lot of questions this year about what the pre-draft workouts will look like. And in a normal year outside of a pandemic under NBA rules, NBA teams have a lot of discretion to schedule workouts with players going through the pre-draft process as they see fit. There's no guarantee for a player who's going through the pre-draft process uh, that, that they will have the opportunity to visit NBA teams, to work out in front of NBA teams. This year, the process is even more uncertain for, for health reasons. And, and we have not finalized the extent to which our teams will be able to engage in in-person workouts with players this year due to the ongoing pandemic. It is our hope that in-person workouts will be allowed to some extent, but we haven't issued any guidance to our teams as to when those workouts might be able to begin and the protocols that will be in place to govern such workouts. So we understand that it's always uh, an exciting part of the pre-draft process for players first to begin communicating directly with NBA teams. This year that will happen beginning around June 1st, and then even more exciting once they get a chance to actually work out in front of NBA teams. And we understand the excitement among the young men going through the pre-draft process who want to have a chance to compete in front of NBA teams. We understand the desire among NBA teams, of course, uh, to organize those in-person workouts so they can get a good draft evaluation. And again, subject to the public health conditions uh, that we continue to monitor, we're going to do everything within our power to provide some mechanism this season for our teams to engage in in-person workouts. But again, I would just caution student athletes going through the pre-draft process that in particular, as, as we continue to have an increased number of applicants each year, everything is, is driven by merit and ultimately team interest. So roughly 60 players will be invited to the combine, another 40 players, generally speaking, will be invited to the G League Elite Camp. But each year we have more players going through the pre-draft process than we have slots for the combine, slots for the G League Elite Camp. So many players assume that they will get workouts with individual teams if they enter their name in the draft. And, and depending on where a player is, is slotted on the draft board, that may be the case. But there's no guarantee that just by virtue of entering your name in the draft that you'll automatically get an opportunity to work out in front of NBA teams. And that's true even outside of a pandemic. It's even more true this year because of the pandemic. And just a reminder, if we get to a place where we, we are able to have our men's basketball student athletes work out individually with teams, 
and state legislation does allow for a team, an NBA team, to provide expenses for one 48-hour tryout per team per year. So if we do get to that point, I just wanted to put a little reminder out there that there are some expenses that are permissible for a student athlete to receive in relation to those workouts or tryouts with professional teams, as well as if they're invited to the G League camp or combine. Garth, are there any other reminders that you think are important at this phase in the pre-draft process for men's basketball student athletes who are going through the process or, or for those individuals who are helping the men's basketball players? I would just reiterate some key dates. The early entry deadline under NBA rules is May 30th. By that point, a player will, will need to decide whether or not they want to test the waters of this year's NBA draft. The combine uh, scheduled to take place from June 21st to June 27th, 10 days after the conclusion of that combine, NCAA rules dictate that the NCAA early entry deadline this year falls on July 7th. So that's another important date for the young men going through the pre-draft process to keep in mind. And then ultimately the draft will take place July 29th this year, which is roughly a month later than usual. And that's why the entire pre-draft process has been moved back roughly a month. Great. Thank you very much. Well, we really appreciate your time today and providing all this very valuable information for our men's basketball student athletes who are going through this process. And we look forward to um, seeing how this year plays out. Thank you for joining in to this edition of Inside the NCAA.